our kind and gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we are so grateful this morning for um, your mercy, Lord. We're grateful for the hope that we have that in the sweet by and by, Lord, our plan is to meet you there. Um, but until then, Lord, there are some things here down on this planet Earth that we must work through, that we must allow your Holy Spirit to contend with us with. Um, and today our topic will be on relationships, Lord, and um, some different things that we encounter, um, whether it's from our past, our present, and also looking towards the future. We are asking that you will be here with us and dwell with us here, open up our minds and give us wisdom and understanding because it comes from you. And you said, Lord, that when we ask that you want to give it liberally. So we are asking for that today, Lord. Uh, we don't stand here as ones who profess to know everything there is to know about relationships, Lord, but we know that the experiences that we've all had here um, are put together to help us to be able to learn more about who you are and more about who you want us to be, Lord. So again, we praise you. We thank you, Father, and we love you and bless our time together here is what we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, come on in, have a seat, and we will get started here. But um, we are um, going to be stepping in a little bit, and we're going to be sharing with you guys um, a kind of a three-part series um, in regards to relationships. And the name of the presentation, or what we've dubbed it, is called the flight plan, right? And so how many of you have actually gone on a flight, gone on a trip? right? Okay. Um, it, it is a very great experience to be able to go all these different places, but it takes some preparation, correct? The destination is just one part. <laughs> that is not the whole, right? Getting there um, for, so for some of us um, can be a bit of a challenge, right? And so that is what we're going to be discussing and talking with you all about today, the flight plan of our lives and when it comes to relationships. Um, there is, is pretty much a three-part plan to what it is that God has in store for us. Um, so I'm going to ask my husband to come on up here, and he is going to help me with this. Let me put this here. As a matter of fact, let me ask before he's doing that, how many of us are married here? Okay, all right. And the rest of us are sort of single, maybe dating, right? No, just loving it, like living it, living the life, right? which is totally okay. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? Don't think anything about it. Um, so this is um, going to be relevant to all of us because even though we may be in relationships, um, there are still many things that we can learn that can help us to grow, amen? Let me tell you, <laughs> I've been married for 16 years and I feel like I'm learning something every single day, yeah? <laughs> God is shaping and molding our characters. So um, one of the things that uh, we are gonna be talking to you guys about is uh, the process before marriage. How many of you know that um, the place that we come from, it molds us and shapes us, right? Our parents or our grandparents, the people who are in our lives that uh, give us the image of relationship, right? Um, or sometimes even the lack thereof. For me, I actually grew up in a single parent home for most of my life. Uh, my parents divorced when I was around the age of nine. And so that was really devastating. You know, that was, I didn't expect it, didn't know really what to make of it. And so um, as a kid, you just kind of roll with it. You know, it's not like you actually have a say-so, you know. And so in that process, though, you are learning a lot of different things. And um, a lot of those experiences ended up actually showing themselves later on in my life as a young adult, even as a single person, and also going into marriage. And so um, partly... Um, those experiences 
have a lot to have a lot of impact on us as we go into seeking or trying to have a healthy relationship. Yeah, I want to, uh, first of all, I want to let you know that um, um, Pastor Bentley had um, some circumstances come up and that's why he's not gonna be able to be here with you to do part two of this presentation. But um, hopefully we, we've done like, I grew up watching wrestling and we, you know, Okay, the Ultimate Warriors, mm -hmm. no, nobody knows about them. But anyway, tag team, you know? So like one partner is reaching out like, uh, uh, and the other one comes and taps his hand. And they, so we, we're rushing in to kind of um, fill in uh, for Pastor Bentley. As my wife said, the uh, title of what we're gonna be sharing with you is uh, Flight Plan. Every one of us is on a journey and there are several things that every journey has in common. And we're going to be looking at three crucial elements of every journey. And we're going to, by the grace of God, help uh, you to discover how our beginnings affect our journey, how our baggage can keep us from reaching our destination, and the benefits of not taking the direct route. Uh, I once was going out to the West Coast, flying from here in the Midwest, and I had two stops on the East Coast first. Did that make any sense? <laughs> so I flew from Detroit to like New York to North Carolina, then out to California. Oh man, that was ridiculous. <laughs> but we're gonna be looking at some biblical principles, uh, biblical principles that don't just deal with marriage, but they deal with life. And these principles will give us insight into navigating some of the most challenging twists and turns. First thing I wanna do is um, ask you to, can you read that? Barely, huh? Anyway, this is Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. It says, certainly you made my mind and heart. You wove me together in my mother's womb. I will give you thanks because your deeds are awesome and amazing. You knew me thoroughly. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret and sold together in the depths of the earth. in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was inside the womb. All the days ordained for me were recorded in your scroll before one of them came into existence. So how well, according to the 139th Psalm, how well or how intimately acquainted with us is God? Very, right? Would you say that he's more acquainted with us than we are with ourselves? Mm. Yes, certainly. Let's take a look at another passage. This one is in Jeremiah chapter one, verses four and five. Can you read that for us, Tammy? It says, the Lord said to me, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I chose you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou comest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. All right. So if the 139th Psalm reveals God's intimate knowledge of us, then Jeremiah chapter 1 tells us that while affirming that God has an intimate knowledge of us, it also tells us that God has a plan for our lives, right? I ordained you, I sanctified you, and I ordained you to be a prophet unto the nations. 
in, uh, in the New Testament, the Bible goes on to, to say something else. Okay. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So if you're following with us, first God says, I am intimately acquainted with who you are. I know everything that there is to know about who you are. God says, not only do I know everything that there is to know about who you are, but I have a plan for your life. And then in the New Testament, God says, by the way, um, let me say, I want to say this right. Because I'm so intimately acquainted with your birth and who you are, I'm going to say that you need to be born again. Mm. <laughs> you get that? You need to be born again. In other words, your first birth is not enough. You need to have a second birth. Your first birth was so jacked up <laughs> that you need to press restart and you need to be reborn. All right. Now, even in that context, I know some of us may think, well, you know, from what I know, my birth was actually pretty decent, right? You know, everything went pretty well for us. Um, I have really good parents. I was raised in a good Christian home. Um, but the Bible is true, and it says that all have sinned, right, and come short of the glory of God. So even in the best of circumstances, we still need God to come in and transform us, to recreate us, as it were. Now, um, one of the reasons why God says that we need to be born again, we need a restart on our lives. Um, obviously, he knows us better than we know ourselves. So in spite of the fact that we may not think we need a restart, God says we do. One of the reasons why God says a restart or a rebirth or a new birth is so important is because each and every one of us will stand before God in the judgment. Is that true? Yes or no? Everyone's going to stand before God in the judgment. I want to read one of my favorite passages to you. This is Psalm 87, verse 6. The Lord writes in the census book of the nations, this one was born there. Now, um, all of us are homo sapiens born on planet Earth, unless we have any Martians in here. I'm certain that all of us were born here on Earth, and this Earth has been polluted by what? By sin. Now, it's true that there are certain places here on earth that are better to live than others. Would you agree with that? Sure. Yes. Now, God says in his word here in the 87th Psalm that when he writes in the census book of the nations, he says this one was born there. So in the judgment, God considers the county you were born in, the ward you were born in, you know, they divide that for voting uh, purposes and so forth and so on. The street you grew up on and also the family that you are a part of. Yes. Now, I'm going to go out on the limb and say that you may not even know all of your family. We sat down with our kids and we try to do a <laughs> family tree. We can only go back so far yeah. before it's like, well, who is after Grandpa, 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 right? Mm -hmm. So we can only go so far, which means that there are people that are in my family and in her family that we don't even know. In fact, um, on my grandfather's side of the family, I have family members that live very close to me. They live in the city of Detroit, 
I have never even met them. Never met them. So there's family that we don't know. But God says, when I look at you in the judgment, I'm looking at every detail of your existence, mm. including your family and all the places that you were born. I'm going to skip over some stuff. Give me the next. Uh... Oh, man. okay, that's good. That's good. Now. Oh, man. All right, let's read this. This is from a book called Heart Connection by Ron and Nancy Rocky. And this describes, this is, if you didn't think you need to be born again, <laughs> this uh, gives some scientific perspective on the importance of this. The womb, in a very real sense, establishes the child's expectations. If it has been a warm, loving environment, the child is likely to expect the outside world to be the same. This produces a predisposition to trust, openness, extroversion, and self-confidence. Let me ask you a question. How many of you know the circumstances surrounding your birth? Let me see your hands. If you are acquainted with the circumstances surrounding your birth. In other words... What does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. In other words, what... What was, uh, what, where were your parents when you were born? Mm -hmm. How was their relationship, mm -hmm. good or bad? How was your mother's health? Mm -hmm. um, was she excited that you were going to be born emotionally? Right. So when we talk about um, the circumstances surrounding your birth, that's what I'm talking about. How many familiar? I've seen one hand, two, kind of, three, okay. So some of us are familiar with that. So apparently what we experience in the womb has a great impact on how we connect and relate with others when we are born. Now hopefully we'll continue to see the importance of why Jesus says we need to be born again. This is another one from the same book, uh, the continuation of the previous quote. The world will be his oyster, that is this child who has had a, um, a pretty good prenatal or womb experience. The world will be his oyster just as the womb has been. If that environment has been hostile, mm. the child will anticipate that his new world will be equally uninviting. He will be predisposed to suspiciousness, distrust, and introversion. Relating to others will be hard, and so will self-assertion. Life will be more difficult for him than for a child who had a great womb experience, okay? So good womb experience, bad womb experience. All of us have kind of a shady womb experience because we're born in a sinful world, okay? Even though our parents may have done their very best. You can see the emotions that this is really powerful. You can see the emotional reactions on the fetus's face, says Dr. Bernholz. If they look unhappy, there is probably a reason. I've seen starving fetuses crying, just like the newborns. They used to be considered blobs, but they are not. I'm going to tell you something. As um, having given birth to four kids, Lord, help me. Um, it was, it's amazing now just the amount of 
ability that you have to be able to go on a screen and look at the child in the womb and, and the faces and all these things. And, you know, when you're having a baby, you're, you're going online and you're looking for everything, you know, because you're scared. You're like, oh, my God, I'm going to bring this new child into the world. And it's amazing. One of the things I read about was that um, a child can actually sense when the environment that they're coming into is hostile. So much so that it can actually even abort itself. So you hear about people having miscarriages, right? And they don't know why they're not. This isn't attributed to every situation, okay? But children know when the environment that they are in is hostile. One of the reasons why they know is because of the mother's emotional state, right? Everything that you're feeling when you're pregnant, that baby can feel it. They can hear the arguments. They can hear or feel when you're fearful or where you feel abandoned or where you feel like, man, I have to go through this all by myself. I'm alone. So it is very powerful. And I think this next portion of it brings that out. Why don't you read that one too? Yes. This is it. Mm -hmm. The fetus can see, hear, and experience, taste, and on a primitive level, even learn in utero. That is the uterus, the uterus before birth. Most importantly, he can feel, not with an adult's sophistication, but feel nonetheless. Hold on. An unborn child grows emotionally agitated as measured by the quickening of his heartbeat. Each time his mother thinks about having a cigarette, she doesn't even have to put it into her lips or light a match. Man, that's, that's powerful. So a mother who smokes, when she thinks about the cigarette, mm -hmm. they can measure the, the fetus's heartbeat beginning to quicken as a result of her thoughts. Hasn't smoked it yet. Isn't that profound, right? Mm -hmm. So the heartbeat, if, it, it may not be a cigarette, but if the mother is getting ready to eat a slice of pizza oh, or something like cheese. that, Ooh, that maybe the, the heartbeat will quicken. So there's a connection. This just demonstrates the powerful connection that exists mm -hmm. between mother and unborn child. Mm -hmm. Now, um, if you didn't understand it before, certainly, hopefully now you can understand the importance of Jesus saying that you must be born again. Go ahead. And I'll share this too, just because I know that we've talked about the mother, right? But fathers play also a major role. It was funny when we had our first son, Israel. Um, my husband used to sing, of course, you know, to him while I was carrying him in the womb. And you know, you think it's cute. Past like tense, all. used to. <laughs> used to sing. And the funny thing is the day that we gave birth to him, um, he was crying and he was, you know, just, ah, let baby cry and my husband began to sing and literally everybody in the um hospital in the room where he was born even the nurses were amazed because he immediately stopped and he looked and he found his father he recognized that voice so fathers and mothers the way that God intended it play a major role even prior to them coming into the earth amen now let me let me suggest something to you um, in a in a form of a question did Mary's pregnancy affect Jesus did Mary's pregnancy affect Jesus? Mm. Um, consider the manner of Jesus' birth. Now, what, what, where was Mary? Where were Mary and Joseph prior to Jesus being born? Hmm? They were in Nazareth, and they had to travel to where? Bethlehem. <clears throat> and they had a nice, comfortable limousine with leather seats. <laughs> And, uh, you know, uh, there was a, a, a great suspension system. And is that how she made the, no? Uh, right? Okay. On a, on a donkey? Donkey, Lord. How did that, how do you think that felt? 
right? Obviously, she had to be riding, if she's riding in a donkey, side saddle. This would have been extremely uncomfortable. They make it to Bethlehem. Now, this was the town of Joseph's what? Hello. Actually, this was the town of both mm -hmm. Joseph and Mary's. Um, this was where their families lived. Mm -hmm. For me, my wife and I both come from Cleveland, Ohio. If we go to Cleveland, we're going to be able to stay with family. family. So have you ever asked yourself why? Mm -hmm. Were there no homes open to Mary and Joseph? Why did they have to seek um, not, not refuge, but why do they have to go looking for a place, for a place to, stay. to stay in an inn when this, when they should have had, I'm going to come to you, when they should have had some sort of family that would have been there? Go ahead. Absolutely. 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 He, so he, he said in the Jewish culture, because Mary is pregnant, before their, their, their wedding, then she would have been ostracized by the family. Mm -hmm. So that means she's cut off. Nobody's talking to her. Alone. How does that feel? Imagine carrying your first child. Your first baby. You can't talk to your mom about it. Who's supposed to be special, yeah. you know, uh, from God, so forth and so on. Mm -hmm. And yet you're going through this tremendous amount of loneliness. Your family, you know, your husband's family so forth and so on. I, I'm, I'm merely suggesting, uh, based on what we've read, that Jesus is able to meet each and every one of us yeah. where we are. Mm -hmm. The fact that Jesus was born here on earth means that his physical birth was not a perfect one, mm -mm. all right? It was not a perfect one, and he was, in fact, influenced by those prenatal things just as you and I are, but no matter what the circumstances of our birth have been, Jesus can reach us exactly where we are. Amen. Now, um, I think that we want to show you guys a video. Thank you. You've heard the saying, he's carrying a lot of baggage from his past, or avoid her baggage. But think about it. I mean, baggage, it's, we get it from other people, the things that they do to us or say to us. And if we carry those memories around, in essence, we carry baggage. We begin collecting baggage when we're just little kids. There you are. Hey, 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 hey I need to talk to you. Yeah, what? Well, um, we were talking about building the, the tree house. Yeah, yeah. I, I love tree houses. Yeah, it's just a thing. Um, see, you can't help us build the tree house. Why? Well, you don't really want me to tell you. Yeah, I do. Okay, well, we were talking, uh -huh. um, um, the gang, we were talking, and, yeah. um, well, you're too fat. What? You'll weigh down the treehouse. I'm not fat. Yes. No, no, yes. I'm not. No, no, uh, mommy just says I'm big bone. Dinosaurs are big bone, you're fat. No, 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 mommy says I'm chunky. <laughs> Peanut butter's chunky, you're fat. No, 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 no. mommy says that I've lost weight. I think you found it. No, 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 mommy says I'm just different. <laughs> Your mommy says you're just different? Yeah, I'm just different. <laughs> go back to where you came from. I gotta go, bye. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's one of the biggest lies we teach children. Words hurt, they cut deep. And if we carry around the words of other people, 
essentially what we do is we're collecting baggage. See, we can't, we can't find our self-worth based on what other people think of us. We have to find our self-worth based on Christ and our relationship with Him. But it doesn't seem to be that easy. And as life goes on and we get older, we just tend to collect more baggage. Sometimes we pick up baggage from people who are very close to us, like my best friend. No, I, I know. I know, Shelly. I know. It's like we talked for three hours and it seemed like five minutes. I know, I know, I know. It's like we have this amazing connection, this chemistry. Okay, I'm just going to say this, Shelly. I've never said this to anyone in a really long time. Um, Shelly, I feel like you're, you're my density. I really, really do. No, you're right. You're my, you're my destiny. That's what I meant. You're my destiny, right? I'm just so false. Hey, he's right here. I got to go. Okay, bye. Hey, buddy, what's up? How much are you talking to? Um, um, talking to my mom. Your mom's your destiny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she gave birth to me and everything. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Kudos. Really? Yeah. Because it sounds like you said Shelly. Yeah, um, that's, that's her name. I thought your mom's name was Kelly. That's her middle name. Your mom's name's Kelly Shelly? Yeah, yeah, and she was picked on a lot when she was a kid, so I just really tried to encourage her all the time and tell her that I love her. What's wrong with that? Okay, okay, uh, whatever, whatever. Did you talk to my Shelly? Yeah, I did. Um, and? She's not, she's not gonna be your Shelly. Look, we just started talking, we just, we just kinda hit it off, and it just happened. I mean, what? we had this great, Chemistry, it just... No, 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 no. You were supposed to call her for me. I did. I started out doing that. I did. You no. gotta believe me. You're supposed to be my best friend. I, I am. Don't, don't let a girl come between us, okay? This I is not a big... You did this. Look, man, you know I've liked her since we were in kindergarten, and you were supposed to talk to her for me. Yes, but, but I've been your best friend since kindergarten, and we've always said growing up, best friends forever, right? Yeah, well, you know what? Forever just got a lot shorter. Don't do this. Don't do this. It's a You girl. did this. You're supposed to be my best friend. And our friends, they're just trying to get through life the same way we are. And sometimes they're gonna make poor choices and we can either learn to forgive them or we can pick up more baggage. You know, the truth about baggage is we don't need other people to load it on us. We do a pretty good job of dumping baggage on ourselves when we compare ourselves to others. We think things like, oh, if I could be as popular as they are, if I could be as gifted and talented as they are, but I'm not, I'm a loser, I'm no good. And when we think that, we pick up more baggage. Or we find ourselves thinking, they have it made. And why is life so easy for them and so hard for me? I'm never gonna make it. When we buy into that lie, more baggage. And sometimes, sometimes we pick up baggage from people who love us dearly. You just don't realize that their words cut like a knife. Son. Hey, Dad. What happened out there? Uh, um, the ball slipped. The, the lights got in my eyes. It was... The lights got in your eyes? Yeah. You know that's what cost us the game, don't you? Yeah. 
ball slipped. How many times have I gotten up in the morning before 5 a.m. before I go to work to work on the stuff with you, huh? There were scouts out there. You realize that? Dad, the ball slipped. The ball slipped, right? It did. I mean, what, what do you want? Hey, coach. Huh? No. <laughs> Butterfingers, yeah. <laughs> we're going to work with them. Uh-huh. All right. See you later. Are you crying? No. Well, don't. Pull it together. People are watching. I want you to grab your stuff. I'm going to go to the car and I'll meet you there, all right? Dad, I'm just disappointed in you, all right? These were our dreams, right? Grab your stuff. And our parents, they don't mean to hurt us. It's just they've got their own baggage. And when you don't deal with baggage, you pass it on. And for us, we have to learn to find our self-worth only in our relationship with Christ. And if we don't, we pick up more baggage. It gets uncomfortable, tedious, and our natural tendency is to want to dump this baggage onto someone else, but it always backfires. Hey, can I ask you a question? What are you doing in my room? I just need to ask you a question. What? Can, can you give me and my friends a, a ride to school? It, it, it's cold and I don't want to ride my bike. <laughs> what? <laughs> Are you really asking that? Yeah, I don't think it's a big deal. Just give me a ride and some of my friends to school. You need to understand something. Just because you and your loser friends are in high school now doesn't mean I'm going to give you a ride, okay? Because look at me. You need to understand that when people look at you, they see a freak, all right? And if they know that I'm related to you, if they know we're brothers, they're going to think I'm a freak too, okay? And I'm not okay with that. So here's the deal. I don't care how you get there. I don't care if you have to walk or crawl or whatever, but I'm not going to be a chauffeur for you and your loser friends, okay? It's not my fault that dad left. Why do you keep taking out on me? Whatever. No, you know I'm right. Okay, I'm sorry. You're not sorry. You're only sorry that I'm calling you out. Just ride my bike. I said I was sorry. I'll ride my bike. Come on. And in the process of trying to dump our baggage on someone else, inevitably what happens is we pick up more baggage. And then there's that one. My sin. My secret sin. But it's, um, it's cool. I mean, uh, I've got it under control. Who am I kidding? Most of the time it has control of me. And this is the way I live. And yet, I hear the words of Christ who says, I've come that you may have life and may have it abundantly. I don't know about you, but th this doesn't really feel like abundant life to me. I, I, I can't walk straight. I can barely keep my balance. And then, and then I remember his words. Because Christ also said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
That's what I want. That's what I want. So I go to God. God, please, if you're willing, would you take this baggage from me? Because God, I'm miserable and I can't live this way anymore. Please take it. You know what? It takes it. My husband and I love this this um, little video because um, we found that it's just an amazing description of what really, honestly, we all have to experience in order to be set free from sin. And see, sin is not just always. Um, about some of the things that we do, right? As we saw in this video, it's very clearly that we pick up baggage, right? We can gather baggage, as we read about, from utero, you know, being here and, and having nothing to do necessarily with the outside world, but coming into a world where there are already people who have issues and things going on in their lives. We can pick them up from our family. We can pick them up from um, our friends or the experiences that they've had, some of the choices and decisions that we've made for our own lives, right? The mistakes that we've made, we add on the baggage, not even knowing that that's what we're doing. And, um, and of course, just living in a sinful world. So because of those things, because of those different packages and baggages, it is so very needful and important for us to be born again. Amen? We need a new birth experience. And without it, we walk around oftentimes carrying those baggages and they spill over into the way that we deal with our family members and our friends, our coworkers, how we look at the people around us, right? And uh, you know, when you're, when you're traveling, sometimes you, you arrive at a destination and what doesn't come with you? Your baggage, Have mercy. right? And so they tell you, we'll deliver that later. <laughs> right, because it was on another flight or so forth and so on. So can you imagine getting into a relationship with someone mm. whose baggage hasn't arrived yet? You know, and, and, and here you are now, and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh, by the way, I got some stuff here. <laughs> and you open the door, and there's this mountain of stuff that, that just comes rolling out. But it's not as though it comes from one person. Mm -hmm. It comes from both of us. You know, we bring baggage into our, and not just in our marriage relationships. Listen, when yeah. we come into churches, yes. people come with a bunch of baggage. Yeah. They come with stuff, and you're like, man, why are they so angry? As though you've done something. Sometimes we haven't done anything. Yeah. It's just that individual's baggage. Mm -hmm. Well, there is a, a need, and I hope that we've um, emphasized that clearly. There's a need for a fresh start, mm -hmm. a need for a reboot or a re birth. But I want to share with you, um, uh, my wife and I want to share with you some of the, some of the encouragement from scripture that no matter how involved our baggage is, that God is able. Somebody should have said amen. God is able. Um, let's look at 2 Chronicles. I think you got some Bibles there in front of you. 2 Chronicles chapter 22 and you know, as we were preparing um, this presentation, it caused me to look at certain portions of the Bible a little bit differently. Second Chronicles chapter 22, and we'll begin reading with verse 1. Are you there? Not yet. 
I'll give you a little bit more time. Second Chronicles chapter 22. And we'll begin reading with verse one. Everybody got it? All right, all right. It says, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah his youngest son king in his stead. For the band of men that came with the Arabians to the camp had slain all the eldest. So Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, reigned. Forty and two years old was Ahaziah when he began to reign, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Athaliah, the daughter of Omri. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab. Now, if, you don't need, if you're not a Bible scholar, when it says that somebody walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, what does that mean? They were a good fella or a bad fella? They were pretty bad, right? So verse 3, he walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor to do wickedly. Wherefore, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, like the house of Ahab, for they were his counselors, after the death of his father, to his destruction. Verse 5, he walked also after their counsel and went with Jehoram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, to war against Hazael, king of Syria, at Ramoth-Gilead, and the Syrians smote Joram. And he returned to be healed in Jezreel because of the wounds which were given him at Ramoth when he fought with Hazael, king of Syria. And Azariah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Jehoram, the son of Ahab, at Jezreel, because he was sick. And the destruction of Ahaziah was of God by coming to Joram. For when he was come, he went out with Jehoram against Jehu, the son of Nimshi, who the Lord had anointed to cut off the house of Ahab. And it came to pass that when Jehu was executing judgment upon the house of Ahab and found the princes of Judah and the sons of the brethren of Ahaziah, that ministered to Ahaziah, he slew them. And he sought Ahaziah, and they caught him, for he was hid in Samaria, and brought him to Jehu. And when they had slain him, they buried him, because, said they, he is the son of Jehoshaphat, who sought the Lord with all his heart. So the house of Ahaziah had no power to keep still the kingdom. Now there's a couple of things that should jump out at you here. Number one, this guy, decided to do wickedly because he was counseled by what type of people? He was counseled by wicked people. So he decided to do wickedly. But at, at the end of this passage, it says in verse 9 that he was the, the descendant of what king? He was, the, he was the descendant of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a good king, a godly king who did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. But apparently his son and grandson decided to do what? Differently. So this gives an example that a person can make right choices, they can live right, but it does not automatically mean that their descendants will choose to walk in their footsteps because there is this C word called choice. What is it called? Choice. Choice. Now, take a look at Jeremiah chapter 18 with me. Jeremiah chapter 18, we begin reading with verse 1. 
And it says, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessels that he had made of clay were marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, and seemed good to the potter to make it. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? Said the Lord, Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hands, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. All right, so we talked about beginnings. We talked about influences that are in utero or prenatal and so forth and so on. And yet here God says, if you were marred in utero, if you did not have a good experience and um, just to let you know, when my, my mother and my father were never married, mm -hmm. but my mom and dad had two children, my older brother and then me. And uh, my mom tells me all the time, she says that I cried a lot mm -hmm. when I was pregnant with you. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Great. You know, <laughs> oh, man, now you, made, you made me a weeper up in here. Thank you. But she says she was extremely sad because of the relationship between her and my father. Yeah. And it was becoming evident to her that they were not going to be married. So this was an extremely emotional time for her. And she said that because um, she would see me. I was one of those um, kids who didn't get into a lot of trouble. My older brother was the troublemaker in the family. But I was, I was one of the, the kids who my parents didn't have a concern in terms of school or so forth and so on. But I was engaged in all sorts of foolishness mm -hmm. behind closed doors. And I, I um, dealt with and still deal with depression. Mm -hmm. So my mom was able to, to see that and she was able to let me know that, hey, look, this is um, an influence on why you are struggling with this. Right. But the good news of Ezekiel, excuse me, of Jeremiah is God says that if you were marred, that I can do what? I can make you over Amen. again. Amen. Just like the potter can do with the clay, yeah. God says I can do the same thing with you. So listen, Yes, you may have experienced certain prenatal influences. Yes, you know, your beginnings may not have been the greatest. But here again is where the New Testament promise of a new birth becomes extremely important to each and every one of us because it entails God's promise to do a work with us, for us, and in us, which we could never accomplish for ourselves. Now let's look at Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18. And I will read in your hearing, beginning with verse 1. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 1. And the Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 18, beginning with verse 1, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, What mean ye? That ye use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live saith the Lord God, ye shall not have occasion anymore to use this proverb in Israel. Hmm. Behold, all souls are mine, as the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. But if a man be just, and do that which is lawful and right, and hath not eaten upon the mountains, neither hath lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, neither hath defiled his neighbor's wife, neither hath come near to a menstruous woman, and hath not oppressed any, but hath restored to the debtor his pledge, hath spoiled 
none by violence, hath given his bread to the hungry, and hath covered the naked with a garment. He that hath not given forth upon usury, neither hath taken any increase, that hath withdrawn his hand from iniquity, hath executed true judgment between man and man, hath walked in my statutes. Verse 10, if he beget a son that is a robber, a shedder of blood, and, and that doeth the like to any one of these things, and that doeth not any of those duties, but even hath eaten upon the mountains and defiled his neighbor's wife, hath oppressed the poor and needy, hath spoiled by violence, so forth and so on. Verse 13, at the end, he shall surely die, his blood shall be upon him. So God is saying in all of this that the individual who sins is going to bear his own iniquities. Does that, is that, does that make sense to everybody? It says it even clearer right here. Um, verse 19, yet ye say, why doth not the son bear the iniquity of the father when the son hath done that which is lawful and right and hath kept all my statutes and hath done them, he shall surely live. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. Now, there's something important that I want to bring out here, because you read that and you're like, yeah, but you just talked about all of these influences. God is talking about judgment. He's mm -hmm. talking about what? Judgment. Judgment. So in spite of all my in utero prenatal, prenatal experiences God and my family, mm -hmm. God is not going to judge me mm -hmm. according to the sins of my mother and father if I do not persist in those sins. Amen. Does that make sense to you? Amen. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers uh, upon the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. So uh, that's what it says in the Ten Commandments. If I am not participating in their sins, then I do not reap the judgment of their sins. All right? Is, is that clear, everybody? Just nod your head like, yes, that's clear. That makes <laughs> sense. All right? So God says that each one of us is individually responsible for ourselves in the judgment. Let's take a look at another passage right here. Um, 2 Kings chapter 22. 2 Kings chapter 22. Second Kings chapter 22, and I'll read verses 1 and 2 for you. Second Kings chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 30 and one years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Bosca. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in all the way of David his father, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. Now let me do a little bit of a, a family tree here. <laughs> Josiah was the son of an individual by the name of Ammon. Ammon was the son of an individual by the name of Manasseh. Anybody heard of Manasseh? Yep. Uh, probably the, the wickedest king in the history of Judah, reigned for the longest of any king, in the history of Judah, and he did wicked, wickedness in the sight of the Lord. He was converted at the end of his life, but um, I guess the influence was too strong. But um, 
Guess who Manasseh's father was? You know, his father was Hezekiah. Now, was Hezekiah good king? Yes. The Bible says he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. So Hezekiah, who's a good king, gives birth to a son who becomes the wickedest king ever, who is converted at the end of his life, yet his son Ammon is wicked, and this gentleman by the name of Ammon gives birth to Josiah. Question, what would it have been like to grow up in Josiah's home? And yet the Bible says, when he was how old? When he was eight years old, right? Now, we're not saying that this came out of a vacuum. Obviously, he would have had some sort of influence, but the major influence, the influence of his grandfather, Manasseh, the influence of his father, Ammon, would not have been the best. Genetically, he would have not been predispositioned towards righteousness or holiness. And yet, Josiah, at a young age, chooses to be different. Amen. Now, I've chosen to be different by the grace of God. One person said amen. Thank you, my brother. I've chosen to be different by the grace of God. First person, first person on my mother's side of the family that did not have a child out of wedlock, but had children after being married. First person choosing to be different. Right. Each one of us has, by the grace of God and through the power of being born again Amen. to live different. My wife and I, she mentioned, married um, 16 years, mm -hmm. 16 years. And by God's grace, have experienced a good marriage, which is different from the history on my family side mm -hmm. and it's different from the history on my, my wife's um, family side. Um, you know, the, the one marriage on my family side was my grandmother and my grandfather, my paternal grandmother and grandfather. And my wife, her paternal uh, grandmother and grandfather mm -hmm. demonstrated a good marriage. Other than that, that was it. not good. <laughs> Not good, yeah. but God is gracious. Amen. God is gracious. So good. We can walk a different path by God's grace than those who have gone before us. And this is, this is what I, I'd like us to close with. Can you read uh, Genesis chapter 11? Genesis chapter 11, verse, verses 1 through 6. And I'll read for you in Genesis 11, 1 through 6, it says, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said to another, to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime that they, and slime had they for martyr. Mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build as a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name. Let us be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which they, the children of men, built. 
And the Lord said, Behold, this people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Now that's a powerful passage of scripture. Generally, we use it talking about wicked folks, but there's hope there. There's hope there. Um, And the hope is this. If you have two people Hmm. who become one, God says nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. I'm encouraged because in Earlier in the book of Genesis, it talks about a marriage relationship, and it says the two shall become one flesh. So this has, at least in my mind, it has profound implications, profound implications as to what my wife and and I are able to accomplish by the grace of God and how drastically different it can be from where we have come from, right? The Bible says, whatever we imagine, that it will not be restrained from us. This is what God is is saying. And so, um, and this is at least in two areas. Number one, in terms of the way that I treat my wife. I don't have to be what my father and his father and his father were before him. I don't have to be as they are and were. And neither does my wife have to be with her mother and her father and so forth and so on. We imagine something that is much better for ourselves. And no child that grows up in a dysfunctional family says, yeah, I want to be dysfunctional, just like my family. No, every child wants to do better. You know how I know that? Because when you're getting a spanking, you're, you're, you're promising to yourself, I am never going to spank my, my child. Everybody who's ever got a real whooping, that's what we used to call it. Anybody who's ever got a real whooping has said, this is cruel and unusual punishment, and I'm never going to do this. Ever. But then you, you end up, unfortunately, you, you end up doing it to you, hopefully, anyway. But anyway, we don't have to, we don't have to be what we have come from yeah. because we've been recreated in the image of God. Yeah. Now we imagine something that is far better for our family and for our children than when we had, than what we had. And so the way we raise our children by the grace of God is different from the way that we were raised. It is better. Now listen, if you think your parents raised you well, I praise God and hope somebody's parents raised them well. Amen. If you think your parents raised you well, I want to encourage you that God expects you to do better. Amen. Amen. God expects you to do better. If Jesus doesn't come and you have children, you get married, so forth and so on, God wants you to raise your children better than you were raised. Mm -hmm. That's what he wants for every generation. But in order for that to happen, what we bring into every human relationship and every experience, and and by the way, this even goes for our experience and our relationship with God, what we bring in, all of this baggage, has Mm -hmm. to be taken care of in the new birth experience before we can come together with someone else, have one mind, and accomplish by the grace of God that which seems impossible. Mm -hmm. So if you had seen my wife and I, we went to the same high school, 
graduated from the same high school, in the same class. If you had seen my wife and I back in the early 90s in high school, you would never have imagined, in fact, we would never have imagined Amen. that we would be, you know, doing what we're doing, mm -mm. that we would be where we are in our lives. It simply was not in the cards, as it were, for us at that time. However, God had a plan. Yeah. And through working in each and every one of our lives, he's able to bring us together so that we can accomplish by his grace something that blows our minds, it blows the minds of our parents and the rest of our family members. The beautiful thing about this, and I guess we'll close here, is that it doesn't matter where you are in your life right now. It doesn't matter what stage you're in. If you're single, if you're married, um, if you're going through some type of weird relationship situation, it's never too late. It's never too late to deal with your baggage. It's never too late to say, you know what? It's time for me to be able to um, take, identify what these things are that I've piled on or have been given to me. Because some of the baggage that we have, we didn't give it to us, right? I come from an abused background. I didn't ask for that. But praise be to the almighty God. That baggage, just as we saw in that video, can also be released. It can be dealt with. It doesn't matter where the baggage came from. You can be a new creature in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. And I, I want to say this. Um, we know this theologically. And we're, uh, the rest of the time that we spend together, not today, but the rest of the time we spend together, I hope will bear this out, that there are things that take place in a moment and there are things that take place over a lifetime. Dealing with our baggage being liberated is the work of a moment by faith, but it is also the work of a lifetime. So we will uh, we'll delve into that the next time that we, uh, we spend some time together. Are there any questions? Comments? All right. Well, let's bow our heads together for a word of prayer as we close. Loving Father and our God, we are so thankful. We're so thankful that in your infinite wisdom and knowledge um, that you have provided a way to deal with, uh, with every inch of who we are, every fiber of who we are. There are things that we don't even understand about ourselves today, and yet you have already provided a way to deal with those things. As it says in your word, it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. Lord, we're just thankful, thankful that you are who you are. We ask, dear Lord, that you would help us to experience a radical transformation. The Bible calls it a new birth. We have tried to look into the necessity of the new birth today. Um, it deals not only with our eternal destination, but it also deals with the relationships that we enter into on a day-to-day -day basis, how we relate to our children, how we relate to our spouses, how we relate to our parents, to our brothers, our sisters, um, even how we relate to the people out on the street. So, Lord, we are asking for that transformation to take place. Jesus has made a way for each and every one of us. And as Jesus does this momentary work, we pray that the Holy Spirit would also minister to us so that we might experience this moment-by-moment, day-by-day work. I pray, Father, that you would help us to see that which is impossible as being your plan for us. And as we come together 
with you and with one another. I pray that nothing that we can imagine, which is for your glory, would be withheld from us. Thank you for hearing and answering these humble prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.